Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, joined by my buddies, Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Good to be with you again, our friends. Uh, we're doing another revisit this evening. We're coming back to uh, revisit a topic that um, was an early episode. Do you remember which number? No, but it has to be within the first 10, because yeah. it was one of our first get-togethers way when we back. were building them up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Way back. So, at least seven years ago. Back when I liked you. Yeah. Back when Todd did Yeah, we were me. just shy of seven years ago when we recorded this. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, it is. Uh, this was uh, one of Toddy's first appearances back when he was just Todd, and he was intermittent as a host. And uh, we didn't do this topic properly because we tried we, we, we shit were, the bed yeah <laughs> fair enough it was the early <laughs> days of the podcast we were just getting our sea legs we were trying to figure out what we could and couldn't do well we tried to record three episodes that night but not just three episodes of anything like three big topics yeah and one of those topics we're revisiting today roundtable discussion on stephen king films stephen i thought this king. was george ramiro but only the zombie films. But only no, so not that one. I watched Candyman. <laughs> I prepared. I thought I was just watching the John Carpenter movies. So I, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we are revisiting Stephen King. Um, so we're not doing like dates in detail. I mean, we'll probably talk about dates, but we're not going into the whole cast, the whole synopsis. We're just going to revisit Stephen King's movies. Talk about uh, like them, don't like them. Watch them, don't watch them. Haven't watched him because it's absolutely undeniable the impression that Stephen King made through a certain era of horror films. Exactly, without question. And when we did this, as you mentioned, we bit off way too much for one night. And so, listeners know what we tried to tackle that evening uh, was, as you mentioned, Romero. But we also, you know, Carpenter and King. That's too much to talk about. That's too much stuff we love in one. And so at some point along the way, we were quickly fatigued. And yeah. so there's really been an emphasis uh, in the 150 plus episodes since uh, to really tackle some of these movies individually and give them more of the, the proper dues that they deserve. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think we all agreed that <clears throat> the original Stephen King episode was so bad that we really needed to revisit it in a much more just better way. Yeah. Uh, one thing you won't hear tonight is a buzzer um, <laughs> punishing for bringing up the books because a huge part of Stephen King is the books. It's absolutely synonymous, and it's foolish to think you can cover one without mentioning the other. Right. And so that's uh, one difference. So uh, if anybody here at the table wants to discuss anything they've read at any point, you will not be shamed for it. Um, so I guess just to start things off, what were your experiences growing up with Stephen King? I mean, was he a big influence that you remember? For me, it was almost from the minute I was interested in in movies and and books I wasn't allowed to read. 
um, I was fascinated by Stephen King. My dad read them as they came out, especially early on, back in the early 80s. He picked up everything that came out. And so I obviously wasn't allowed to read those even when I started reading books, but I, I would sit and just marvel at the art on them. And I knew that they had become movies, movies that I wasn't allowed to watch yet. And so there was this forbidden element mm. to his stories um, that fascinated me. And over time, I began to see the adaptations and love many of them, which we'll discuss. Uh, but also, as I got older, then I started reading the books. I have a funny memory in fourth grade of trying to read Misery and the teacher pulling me aside because oh, I was sitting and reading it during I-step testing. And I remember my teacher pulling me aside and going, does your, does your mom and dad know that you're trying to read such an adult book? And I was like, yeah, because I loved reading. Yeah. And at that point, they're like, ah, what the hell, dig in. <laughs> so, um, and to be uh, honest, I don't think I got through it. But I, w I was that in love with the concept of his stories that even at that age, I was trying to tackle that. And it's, it's never let up because the writing has been rewarding over the years because he writes with a way that makes you invest in the characters. Uh, a humanistic approach to where the the fears and the scares work because you care about the characters. Yeah, and so it's he's always been a big deal to me. So, yeah. how about you guys? Um, I really, as a kid, didn't have a whole lot of experience with it. It was huge during the era that I was a kid, uh, but my experience with horror at that time was a little more universal monsters that my dad would let me watch. Uh, maybe a few special effects scenes that he would let me watch like American werewolf in London, but I wasn't necessarily allowed to watch the entire movie. Uh, Stephen King honestly was also almost kind of a forbidden fruit. And I didn't watch much of it until I was an adult because as a kid, Stephen King was synonymous with so scary. It's so scary that I was almost afraid to watch it for most of my youth. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I started to kind of experience it. Uh, I, however, I did read it when I was in about middle school. Nice. That's a big Which was book. A quite, it was the biggest book I've ever read. It was like over a thousand pages. But I, my experience with Stephen King, both books and movies, have mostly come since my adulthood. Just because it was, like I say, it was more or less forbidden when I was a kid. And... I was almost scared away from it because he had there was this label of how scary Stephen King stuff was that I almost didn't want to get into it because I didn't want to be that scared. Mm -hmm. Toddy, um, I think Stephen King's another one of those things where I don't remember maybe what I saw first. It's it's kind of like he's always just been around, I guess. But um, there's a few that I remember uh, early '80s that. Uh, I remember like when they were just churning his stuff out that even um, remember even maximum overdrive. Like I was such a young age that even that movie kind of scared me. And again, I think, uh, I think it was some of these certain films kind of like Freddy movies or Jason, like these movies coming out, there's like the, um, almost like the school lore, like you were saying of like, mm -hmm. man, everybody's talking about how scary this movie is. And um, even if you weren't allowed to see it, they not that they always marketed to children, but you know, like a lot of these previews and stuff were on during the day, like while we're watching cartoons and stuff. Uh, I, I remember even some of the visuals, like, uh, I remember, um, I had to be maybe second, third grade, probably second grade. I remember that we were doing stuff with newspapers and there's an ad for children of the corn. So even just the image, um, at that point I knew who Stephen King was. Um, 
don't remember really seeing much of his films at that point. Um, probably, um, I'd probably say it was like, um, i trying to think maybe the first movie that I can almost remember. So it's probably like maybe, um, I want to say I watched Carrie a little bit later on too. So probably Salem's Lot because that was definitely accessible because it was made for TV. Uh, I, I didn't watch the whole movie because I got to the part where Fred is hanging out the window. And <laughs> that was enough for me. Um, I would say like maybe Cujo, Creepshow, like right in that era was probably when I first um, snuck in a couple of uh, King films. And for me, the weird thing is, is um, my mom doesn't like scary movies, but I was definitely allowed to watch them. Uh, having older siblings, um, I remember even, um, as I got a little bit older, like I'd go stay at my sister's house and we'd, we'd, uh, rent some Stephen King movies. And of course, as I got older, I liked, uh, I started reading the books. It's weird. You mentioned misery in fourth grade. Cause that's when I read misery. Um, I remember middle school and high school reading a ton of Stephen King books. Um, I want to say the stand, I, I probably tried reading it and like, uh, I might have started middle school and finished in high school because that yeah, was also another big ass book. I was gonna say oh, I think yeah. the Stand is the biggest book I have, and it was like the re the re edit where it's like all this additional content and um I don't know uh, definitely uh, I would say probably at early teens I really got into King because as I would uh I would read the books I'd want to see the film so uh, like Carrie I read the book and then got to watch the movie so sure. Um, and a lot with uh, King is, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff they just, for whatever reason, didn't put into the film. And um, I don't know. And he definitely, uh, the, the name Stephen King was like one of those names, like right up there with, uh, to me, like I said, Freddie or Jason or, or even like Clyde Barker. Or, oh, yeah. <sighs> for me, especially when you talk about the, the like schoolyard lore, like. <laughs> It's like my cousin read a Stephen King book once and he died. (laughs) Like that's the way like we talked about Stephen King when we were kids, right? And uh, so um, I know there were plenty of Stephen King movies out when I was young, and I never saw any of them, like the theatrical cuts. Um, So my earliest memories of accessibility to Stephen King were the made-for-TV stuff. So it. Definitely a prominent one in my mind. I remember watching parts of it, but not seeing the end. Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> right. I saw, the, I saw the good parts, right? Yep. Um, but the one that really stands out for me is the the Stand TV adaptation. Um, I don't know. Something really struck me about the Stand. And I remember at one point uh, being at the driving range with my dad one night. Uh, which for those of you who don't know, it's where you go hit golf balls <laughs> and a lot of places are open at night to do that. And I remember like, dad, we have to get home. The stand is coming on in 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> like I needed to be home to watch the stand. And so those are my earliest memories of Stephen King would definitely be it. And the stand. Um, and then when I was in eighth grade, he released a mini series of books called the green mile. Yes. A lot of people don't know that those came out as six little books. Yeah. Serial style. Yep. That were later collected into a big book and then obviously made into a popular film. So, um, I read the books that were available of the green mile. And that was the thing too. I could, I could afford it. Like my allowance covered it. They were like five bucks a piece, right? When they came out. So, uh, I read those for book reports in my eighth grade English class. So I think I got through the first three or four. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. So, um, 
Did you book it? Uh, by eighth grade, uh, they I had aged out of book it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's done with cheese pizzas and listening to Tupac. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my that's my earliest memories of Stephen King. Cool. Yeah, I think in variations in some way or another, he uh, he got into our blood along the way. And then, uh, one interesting thing too, before we kind of hit the lightning rounds on all of the adaptations, um, is that it's weird that we look back on so many kind of titans of the genre uh, from a literary standpoint, uh, people like Poe and Lovecraft, but we have lived through the heart of the Babe Ruth of, of horror writing. There's nobody that can come close to it. Clyde Barker is excellent. He doesn't have anywhere near uh, the volume and success that King has reached. And that's I not have. to knock Barker. I love Clyde Barker, yeah. but it's just different. This guy transcended into pop culture in a way that is just wild. So with that said, that began in the mid seventies and it really has never changed in the aspect of he writes a novel and typically within two to three years, it's being turned into something. It's happening tonight. The outsider is premiering on HBO. I think maybe an hour ago, Hmm. that's a novel that just came out. I think early last year, maybe the year before that, but not old. It's always been that way. We started with Carrie, uh, which I think the book, his first book came out in 74 and the film came out in 76. Um, and it catapulted the careers of both King and Brian De Palma, who directed it. De Palma would go on to have a massive kind of decade following that. Uh, and it's still celebrated to this day. A lot of people love Carrie. Thoughts on that one for you guys? Is Carrie, that's post Coal Miner's Daughter, right? I think so. I think so, because Coal Miner's Daughter happened while Loretta Lynn was famous. That was early 70s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway. A couple of years before. So it's it's fascinating to see Sissy Spacek go from, like, Coal Miner's Daughter, who's right. a beloved household name. Like, people love Loretta Lynn. They love Spacek playing her. I think she got an Oscar for that. And then now she's Carrie? And right. not only did she play Loretta Lynn from, like, young to an adult, now she's back to playing a high school Yes, right. Um, So, Carrie's a phenomenal movie. I think it's peak Stephen King. I think it's uh, peak of his movies being, or his books being turned into film. It's, I got to say, it's probably top five. Like, it's it's up there. I think it's uh, right out the gate an early example of him being able to write where you care about people that aren't like him. He's writing about a high school girl and the tears she's going through. Um, and so I think early, right from the beginning, we we see the depth that he has to his writing. Yeah, it's an excellent film. Still holds up well. Um, everybody likes a revenge tale, and this oh, is just yeah. a very and that's creative what this one is, variation yeah. on that. And you see early stages of great films that would come to, from De Palma and the people he's working with, and that you got Travolta and Nancy Allen. They'd make he'd make Blowout, I think, one or two years later, and a string of other great films from there. Um, but and. Bear with me here at the beginning. We'll spend a little bit slower time on these because this is what laid the foundation. Yeah. And as you'll notice as we go through these, another important element of why people love Stephen King so much is he covers it all. He takes classic ideas and he brings new inventive ideas. And sometimes he takes classic ideas and reinvents them. He covers everything. So we go from that into Salem's Lot, a TV miniseries. I did not ask Todd about (laughs) Carrie, and I apologize. Go ahead. There's a lot here. Um, I was going to say, we got we to gotta jam through these, but yeah. So I would say, uh, I think Carrie stands out for me because it's, um, 
I was trying to think, like, for some reason, I know, like I said, I know the time period I read Misery. I feel like Misery might have been my first King book. Uh, Carrie was probably shortly after, and I read Carrie in, like, going fifth to sixth grade. So I read Carrie about this awkward girl when a time where, uh, you know, I'm having to be going through, I'm going through puberty, and I'm thrown into the locker room, and um, you started your period. I, I did start my period. Plug it up. In the middle of gym. Um, and not only that, but like, uh, I feel like a lot of, it wasn't like a lot of horror films that I had seen either where really like everything that she does in the movie, you, you actually want her to do because they were all despicable um, kids. But um, I feel like Carrie also is probably one of the... Um, First few movies again. This is like a time period where I'd want to read the book and then see the movie. Um, so Carrie always stands out for me. Um, I would say it holds up extremely well, and it's still one of his best, except for like the one little montage where they're going for uh, prom gear, and it's a lot. A lot of the disco music kind of <laughs> turns it off. But other than that, the acting's great. A lot of uh, again, it's cool to see everybody's. Uh, Everybody in the movie kind of goes on, including um, John Revolta. Um, well, I was thinking too. There's a lot of people too that they forget is in this movie, like PJ Souls, sure, and um, Edie McClurg. Um, so I don't know. It's a uh, definitely like um, one of his better ones. So I, I would like to. I know it's been um, a sequel, a TV remake, and remade again, and yet. Still, no one has really done justice to what he did in the book. So, um, it's kind of what I was thinking the last remake would be. So, I'd still kind of like to see see the book. If if you're gonna redo it, then then Have let's redo it. Yeah. So uh, next up, we jump into Salem's Lot, uh, regarded by a, a good chunk of people as his best writing in terms of novel. Um, and we deal with vampires in this. And even though it's a TV movie, I personally think it's the scariest vampire thing ever made. Um, over any traditional theatrical feature released. Uh, Vinny's smirking, so we'll go to him next. I've still never seen it. You, oh, It's on the list, but I've not seen it. Is that in between? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got to correct that. Okay, so I still think it's incredibly scary, and I would highly recommend the book if nobody's ever checked it out. How, what's your guys' thoughts on uh, I, Salem's Lot? I forget that it is a TV movie because it's that great. Right, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I mean, who cares? Because it's terrifying. I think it's a weird movie, too, where it um, was so popular that they, they did, like, a weird cut of it to put in the theaters, yeah. which is usually unheard of. Um, one of Toby Hooper's best films. Second um, best film. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say at Texas Chainsaw, Salem's Lot. Yep. Um, it kind of, like, defined, uh, and we talked about this previously on other episodes, but it defied what the vampire is for our generation, um, Get more and it was, back ter- to the it was terrifying and, and it was also the introduction because Carrie I know they're teens but to me like they were all way older than you know. Salem's Lot was an introduction to Stephen King the bastard that he is it's like hey let's kill a bunch of kids yeah that's so watching that as trip. a kid um, yeah scary I've never read the book I do want to correct that eventually but um, Salem's Lot's one of the tops I love Salem's Lot I think it's a great film never read the book um, I just echo everything you guys said about that. Like I just, it just, oh, it just feels so good. It shot so well. Um, Toby Hooper hit a home run with this one. Um, 
I like it so much that I bought the hard to find DVD for like $18 and then I found it. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. This is an admission, folks. If you're a long time listener, <laughs> yeah. this motherfucker spent more than $2 on something. <laughs> but what, here's the follow-up. I then found it on Blu-ray three years later for $2. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So I almost kept the DVD out of spite. Yeah. But uh, I liked it so much that I was like, I like it. It's hard to find. I'll pay that for it. And then they're like, here's the Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray looks good. Yeah. You kind of wouldn't expect a TV movie from the late 70s to yeah. look as good as it does. Uh, and full disclosure, too, uh, Grizz is not a huge reader of fiction. So no. in fairness to him, when he says he didn't read the book, we're not counting on uh, yeah. a long list of books you've consumed by Stephen King. You're more right. of a, a nonfiction I guy. I have a vast library of nonfiction, occult, true crime, <laughs> but uh, history. But yeah, just not a fiction guy. So so we have, uh, we started with the first two, which are varied in subject matter. And the third is no exception. And these first three are in the order that he released them. Uh, so after the massive TV movie success, we then have one of the most celebrated directors in the world take on The Shining. Stanley Kubrick directed. Uh, very contentious relationship between King and him early on. What's wrong? Not familiar. Oh, movie lordy, again? lordy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so this was where the break started to happen with King and Hollywood. Uh, he did not like what Kubrick did um, with the film, which was very different from the book. I love both. I've mentioned on the show before that The Shining is my favorite movie of all time, not just for horror, but just period. I love it. Um, and it is very, very different from the book, which is also excellent. One of the best pieces of writing that King ever did. So I won't wax on about this because I've done that numerous times on the show before. But just your guys' thoughts on The Shining? Uh, I saw the movie. I, I can't tell you when. I was an adult when I saw it. Really liked the movie. And then it, within the last decade, I read the book and that then creates a whole different set of how you enjoy things and why you enjoy things. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the movie for what it is. I love the book for what it is. They're both. I've never brought myself to watch the TV, the shining that's, more the vision of King. Yeah, it's all it's almost true exactly. I've world. never and that's Mick Garris, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's filmed at the Stanley where I went within the last couple of years. I've not brought cool. myself to watch it. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what's put me off of it. Maybe because I enjoy the movie so much, I don't want to have a comparison to it because I'm unfairly going to judge that movie. Right. The other movie, even though I enjoyed the book, but uh, yeah, love The Shining, both story and. And um, I agree with Vinny. I will say um, <clears throat> The Shining, I think, is one of the worst adaptations for King. But I love, the, I love the movie. What was made, it was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love the movie. Uh, I saw the movie early on, read the book way later. And uh, I was probably older when I read the book. Um, definitely watched the movie at such an early age that um, – it scarred me uh, quite a bit. Probably before I saw the movie, I definitely knew a lot more of the images of the of like the the twins and and some of the other things um, that uh, I'd seen way before I saw the film. Um, I would say The Shining is probably one of his. Uh, even though people, I know Stephen King hates hates uh, the movie, and it's because it just was so far out there. But that's probably. 
I would say one of his uh, out of his films that like from the Simpsons to like, like just pop culture reference, the shining Shining. so much. Um, So yeah, I love it. And I actually love the mini series too. And I think I loved it because I, I like the book so much that the the mini series is interesting. And again, um, to me, when they do a TV movie, I don't get all up in arms like everyone else does, but um, cause it's a TV movie, but again, if you're going to remake something, at least the remake was like, we're not remaking the movie we're we're doing the book. Um, so other than it, um, was, it's definitely a time period when Stephen King was on, it was always like, well, to do it justice, it needs to be a three night event. Right. So, um, you know, I think that movie is about four hours somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So, it's long. um, I think it could have been shortened. I get why it's longer because it's a uh, that was the big push. But uh, I definitely like the miniseries too. So, Chris, I haven't seen the miniseries. I'd like to, but as far as Kubrick's movie, I love it. It's a seasonal staple. If there's a if there's at least six inches of snow on the ground, I'm watching The Shining every year. Undeniable. When there's twelve For inches of snow, sure. do you put on Snow's Informer? I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so yeah it's if we talk about winter horror um you know the shining 30 days a night the thing you know i'm saying like these are just going to happen every time there's another gem for winter horror that is uh related to stephen king which we'll get to a little bit uh but some of these other early kind of classic pillars of his career we've covered on the show so we'll just kind of bypass them quickly uh creep show he wrote with george romero that was next up we've covered that before that yeah, may be episode. my favorite by the way is it because of meteor shit i love meteor anthologies shit. yeah was yeah. uh was creep real so quick great. was creep show probably the first time he appeared in yes i'm thinking I, so yeah because he wasn't in which i always thought that was fun three. too is no. when stephen king would start popping up and stuff a little hitchcock style uh we won't cover shorts or random uh smaller productions because there's a short in there uh cujo we've covered um which i think we all thought was excellent mm-hmm. uh the dead zone was the wow. same year 1983 <laughs> yeah the same year 1983 christine we've covered all those that's my those favorite excellent Actually, films all three of them my favorite um, and so I feel like that's where we kind of peak early on and then things start to branch out in different directions. I would like to quality. say that I, I wouldn't be too upset if they did a remake of Christine, if they played it closer to what was right. in the book. Yep. Yeah. The book, I love Christine. Don't get me wrong. The book would make it a totally different tone. So I'd yes. be on, even if it's a TV movie, <laughs> I'd be on board with that. What I like about Christine is that the South Bend Strangler sells the car and then later goes on to help a young boy <laughs> evade criminals. Are you still trying to argue that Christine is a prequel to Home Alone? <laughs> yes. He just wanted a reason to if say the name Robert's Blossoms. <laughs> um, so in 1984, not the strongest offerings begin. Okay. Uh, now, Children of the Corn comes out. Uh, I've said it on the show before. <laughs> I love the movie. It's bad. And yeah. I get it. It's an it's one of my top nostalgic forgiveness films. Um and we did we cover that one in depth or just kind of no. quickly? So thoughts on Children of the Corn for you guys? It, for me, it was a, a, a fearful rental experience, and the name just invoked fear. Yeah, sure. like it, I rented it based on name and Stephen King's name. It's been so long since I've seen it, though. I don't think I could give a fair synopsis or opinion, honestly. Okay, I love. Um, it, I, I agree, Children of the Corn. I I have to acknowledge it's it's a turd movie. 
But I saw early on where it scared me. The first half is not. Well, the, let's keep in mind where we live. Yeah, well, we live as in, kids. We yeah. live in corn. There's cornfields everywhere. It's Stephen King. the The music was terrifying from this movie. Uh, the theme was uh, pretty scary. And um, where it's become hokey now, um, I think because of the time period I watched it, it still holds up for me. My favorite part about Children of the Corn, though, is it's based on a short story by Stephen yeah. King. And eventually there is, um, they're up to part nine plus a remake of yeah. this short story. We'll have story. to cover them at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, haven't yeah. mustered up there the courage yet. There will be a Children of the Corn episode coming. I, um, <clears throat> I never saw it in my youth, so I don't have the nostalgia for it, but I had the fear of it. Like I, as I said, grew up in cornfields and, you know, didn't want to watch Children of the Corn because of the, the fucking cover art. Yeah. Like the corn and then just a, a red sky and a hand with a sickle, like. I'm not watching that, man. Like, that's scary. Um, watch it as an adult. Right. It's a bad movie. But you're right. The beginning's great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great beginning. Um, There's some nice mystery and, and digging around in the town through the first half. It just comes undone at the end. Yeah. I just the, I want to see the cut where he just takes his belt off and starts whipping some kids' yeah. ass. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> they all right. turn around and everybody's happy. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I, I have a strange non-nostalgia nostalgia for it you know what i mean right. never seeing it young i don't have that experience but also just growing up like i did Watching nostalgia it, for the idea yeah, yeah. But... i'm like okay whatever i give it a pass i don't love it and i'm not going to watch it all the time but yeah yeah uh next up in that year was Firestarter, um which many feel was, was a disaster uh i i don't have too much to defend it it's it's a pretty clunky movie uh there's some <laughs> interesting aspects to it um but this was this was the year where the quality started to drop off because oh. as we looked at everything prior to, everything was so varied and top shelf, and now we're starting to get into the video age and the boom of that. And so it's people are much quicker to cash in on stuff and rush productions and get stuff out. Now, Firestarter was a pretty big deal. It just didn't really land for well, most Drew people. Well, Barrymore, yeah. who had become George a name thanks to... Uh, Spielberg and E.T. And this is yep. probably right in the middle of her uh, crack addiction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thoughts on Firestarter? I, it's been a while Man, since I'm, I watched it. I'm going to be honest. It's been a long time since this, I've seen it. This is rare for me to say, but I watched this movie as a kid. And I didn't even care too much for it then. I love Drew Barrymore, so that drew me in. I always thought it was boring. Yeah, it's as just... an adult, it didn't get any better. Uh, they made a second movie uh, in the 90s. It was Turd City 2. I, it, I definitely... It it's weird that Christine is such a good movie that it bombed. Um, had Christine not bombed, that was supposed to be John Carpenter's next film was Firestarter. So I definitely think Carpenter Firestarter could have been pretty cool, but yeah, I, I've never really. That's probably one of my least favorites is Firestarter. I would agree. Like the song by Prodigy, never seen the movie. <laughs> All right, moving on to 1985. Uh, the first two this year are two that I'm particularly fond of. Uh, especially the second one we'll mention, but the first was Cat's Eye, another anthology film. Um, this is when we're getting close to the age for me where I was starting to be aware of them as they were new. Uh, I still can consume most of them, but um, the other one this year, Silver Bullet, um, is one of my favorites of all time. But for Cat's Eye, uh, it's I, I loved that as a kid, and I still enjoy it. Um, they're very Twilight zone type segments um, i've never seen it okay well uh, but i particularly loved the, the last story which also has drew barrymore 
the was year that later. the wraparound or was was that a wraparound? I think they opened the film with it, but it's a full-on segment yeah. uh, that they finished with with the little creature in the wall. That's kind of like trilogy of terror. Um, that's uh, running around the house and it scared the shit out of me as a kid. I mean, he is a little dude with a little knife, mm-hmm. um, but I was really <laughs> fond of that one. But we also have the segments with uh, James Wood trying to quit smoking and this firm that does horrible things to get you to quit smoking. And then a guy that gets in bad with a gambling situation. But uh, do you guys have any experience or thoughts on this one? To me, the rap, the whatever you want, the wrap around the actual cat's eye story. Mm. Uh, man, I agree. Uh, it scared me as a kid. Plus, uh, I remember they always talk about cats taking your breath away. Yeah, that's another thing that they talk about. Featured that. in the film, the the other two segments as a kid just to me went over my head. They were. Yeah. I liked him better as an adult. I will say my favorite thing about Cat's Eye is the opening where it has a cameo <clears throat> by Cujo and Christine, and I think a couple other Stephen King things are thrown in there. Um. But yeah, it's it's never been one of my uh, like top of my list, but uh, but not a bad movie. Haven't seen Cat's Eye since I was a kid. I had a bad babysitter that played it around me, <laughs> 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 and so all I remember is that little goblin. Yeah. And as a child, I slept with my mouth shut <laughs> because I didn't want that fucking goblin to jump in my mouth. <laughs> My, my only memory got okay. um, perfect. Be, be honest, you you still do it as an adult. Well, I duct tape my mouth down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the one right after that, Silver Bullet, comes from the novella Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh, I think everybody at this table loves that one. Mm-hmm. So we don't really need to spend too much time on that. This is actually a King book I have read. Yes, yeah, it's one of my favorite. Is it because it's only ten pages? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, it's really oh, wow. cool. Um, the yeah. the it's wow. awesome and wow wow <laughs> i remember back in the late 80s i'd turn a tantrum about something i had a bad temper growing up i've grown out of most of it but anyways at one point i'd shown my ass about something and my dad was uh typically didn't put up with it but in for whatever reason i don't know if he had uh inspired it and felt bad or just wanted to try a different approach but i'll never forget it he gave me Cycle of the Werewolf, which is a big deal. I wasn't allowed to get Stephen King books, and this was one of the first. And he wrote in it, don't let your temper transform yourself, which at that age I thought was wonderful because I knew it was about a werewolf. It had these great drawings in there from Wrightson. And, and so I've always been fond of this. My whole family loves the movie. We've watched it regularly, usually around Halloween time, pretty much ever since it came out. Oh, so, it hurts my parts. Which, he's also the racist <laughs> that is in the building at the beginning of Dawn of the Dead. Talk about a random career. Um, but yeah, this is just one. I know we've covered it before, but love it so much. I have to spend a second there on it. Oh Anything yeah. So yeah, it definitely in my probably top five Stephen King movies. Oh yeah. This is another, uh, Showtime, whatever cable channel we had is how I watched it. I, I, again, my mom didn't like horror films, so she didn't care about these. And, um, I think I was in the house by myself watching this. Man, it scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, and then I think having Corey Haim be in it and being around that age, too, where I felt like he was older than I was, but I still felt like we were close in age. So some of those uh, movies, again, where they related to kids, which would become a common theme with uh, Stephen King. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, movie, that movie scared me. And I will say, like, to all the assholes since this came out on Blu-ray, like, calm down. Like, that still has some awesome uh, effects. It has some hokey ones, too, but... It wasn't made uh, with uh, the idea that there would be a Blu-ray player and that you could even pause this kind of stuff. And um, so, calm down. It's okay. Shut up, nerds. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll just say I have a silver bullet tattoo. <laughs> oh, I thought that was because you loved Bob Seger. <laughs> well, the silver bullet band. Yeah. Um, so we jumped to 1986, a <laughs> uh, pair of interesting films. One uh, was not a novel. <laughs> But it was written and directed by Stephen King, Maximum Overdrive. Wasn't it also made by cocaine? Yes, he has since talked about being on uh, cocaine heavily through the production of this film. Cocaine. Um, and it shows. It is a disastrous <laughs> film, but one that I enjoy. Um, it shows its age, but at the end of the day, it's a fun time. And I think uh, it's one of those ones that has become fashionable over the years to pile on. But it's really nowhere near as bad as people like to make it out to be. It's an enjoyable time. Uh, your guys' thoughts, the, history this, with it? Again, was that right in that cycle where I watched it on pay TV? Watched, I was young in 86, so scared the shit out of me. Of course, it wouldn't have been eight. Uh, if it's cable, it took a year or two to come out. Um, <laughs> I remember, it's funny now thinking that this movie scared me. But I still enjoy, I enjoy it in a different way as an adult. And also, there's not a lot of movies that feature the actress that voices Lisa Simpson, so <laughs> I uh, appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind this movie at all. Definitely not scary anymore. But sure, uh, Vinny, history with Maximum Overdrive. Thoughts? I've seen it. Didn't leave a huge impact on me. I mostly was thrilled when I saw it because I grew up a comic book nerd. Yeah, and having the Green Goblin featured so prominently made me take notice of the film. Um, and I've posed with the photo with the, uh, refurbished green goblin head. I was at a convention, Midwest haunters convention, which typically does not have any kind of celebrity guests or anything. And the people who now own that had that there and were charging you to take photos with it. But because I was there with a vendor, I was there before the con opened. So I walked up and got my picture taken for them for free. <laughs> Sucker. I remember it as a kid. Like I don't remember any details, but I was like, "Oh man, yeah, that's cool." Green Goblin, right? Uh, I watched it as an adult about a year ago. I think it was on Amazon or Shutter, and uh, I was a few whiskeys in, and and at one point I was like, "Oh, this is what we're doing." <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's not a good movie, but nostalgia wise, it's it's a fun movie. Sure. Yeah. And uh, at this point, not only have we branched off in quality with what's coming out from his adaptations, but we also branch off into uh, different types of work um one of the better films to be adapted from anything of his uh came from different seasons uh that same year stand by me came out based off his short novella the body uh directed by uh rob reiner who would also do misery in a few years another great adaptation um but stand by me is one of my favorite things uh that has come from king i love the movie um there's really not much else to add i to feel that. like that had the widest reach yeah, uh, because it wasn't necessarily a horror movie, and so it's, mm-hmm. it hit a lot of different levels. Still had a dead kid. Have to make sure. Of course, you got to hit that on Stephen King Bingo. Uh, I think that this is another one that I think is only second to the Shawshank Redemption for being shown on Saturday yeah. local television from the same book, and everybody has 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 watched it at some point or another. Um, I also something with Stephen King that I plug into when I was younger as well. It's very heavy with him as well is now people all the time gripe about things like stranger things and this and that of all the eighties nostalgia that's out there right now, all the eighties nostalgia. But if you think about it, when we were kids, fifties and (laughs) sixties nostalgia was everything. And it's because that's what our parents grew up in. It's nostalgia porn. Our parents 
Shut up, nerds. Like King. And all that stuff was set in the 50s and 60s because it resonated with them because that's when they grew up. And now they were the people with disposable incomes that could pay to see these movies and read these books and all that. So it's the same thing over and everything new is old. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Nothing new under the sun. Well, it's the same reason uh, when you hit your late 20s, suddenly music's starting to really suck. Not like the good stuff that you grew up on. <laughs> Everything's what? a cycle. What? Uh, Stand By Me is one of my favorites. Um, as as a nerdy little horror kid, I, I think it took a while to realize that this was a Stephen King uh, works. I think I loved the movie a few years before I realized it's uh, it was King. Um, there's a lot of reasons I love, besides the fact that it's, it's a great movie anyways. Um, it's one, uh, it's a rare Stephen King movie that my mom also likes, uh, which, you know, I think that was a uh, fun when I figured it out to tell my mom that like, Hey, you do like a Stephen King movie. Um, so, uh, great soundtrack, great acting. And, um, again, that time period where I was close to the age, I like idolized like Will Wheaton and, uh, Corey Feldman and of course River Phoenix. Um, so I don't know many uh, great reasons and uh, watched that movie a year or two ago and it still holds up. Just it as does well. still hold up. I absolutely probably as an adult it hits it hits some different uh, different aspects. So Chopper, sick balls. <laughs> it's a nice film. <laughs> uh so after that we jump into creep show 2 which was him writing the stories for that you guys have covered that on the one particular episode in the past oh, yeah. that i was not on so we'll move right past that into we'll skip return to salem's lot that was just his characters it wasn't a book of his uh the running man so we've now got some sci-fi thrown in here finally a movie about dancing <laughs> Um, this one, I will not share an opinion on because I have not seen this since probably the early nineties. So I've I never, need to I've not seen it, it ever. Ah, <laughs> I'm tearing my shirt in protest. Dottie, <laughs> running man. Um, watched it when it came out. Always thought it was fun. This is also to me when I started, um, kind of like loving, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger films. So, um, it's been a l- I can't even think of the last time I watched it. I did see that it's either getting a- an actual release or... Somebody recently put it out, so it's definitely one I'd love to pick up. Yeah, um, there's a Blu-ray out there. So never read uh, never read the book to it uh, that it's based on. I think it's a short story too, maybe. Or is it? I don't know. He it was a part of I think Four Past Midnight. He wrote as Richard Bachman. So but... um, I don't know. I thought it was always fun for the time. I definitely remember that a lot of movies that followed, not Stephen King, but there was a time period where a lot of movies were very similar to Running Man. Sure. So. Now, Grizz, this has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it in the 80s, so I'm guessing you've seen it and maybe like it. I've got a dank DVD release of this. (laughs) Uh, I love this movie. I remember it as a kid. And, uh, yeah, it's just the jam. This is where Arnold, uh, if I am not mistaken, this is where Arnold coined the phrase, I'll be back. Um, The game show host, Running Man, is a game show where they send convicts in to fight people and you get to watch them and gamble on them and shit like that. And, uh so uh, before he sends Arnold in, the game show host says, any last words? And Arnold says, I'll be back. And he says, only in reruns. Ooh. So it's a jam. It's awesome. It's um, If you like Turbo Kid, that's kind of horror adjacent. You know, a lot of people in our community like Turbo Kid. Um, Running Man is a dystopian future Turbo Kid style where you've got like iconic bad guys fighting against these game show convict contestants. It's the jam. That's all. I'm cool. Uh, surprisingly, nothing happened in 1988 
with adaptations <laughs> in the middle of all of the Stephen King craze. But we jump into 1989's Pet Cemetery, uh, the ultimate kinder trauma for me. Um, the only movie still to this day to give me nightmares from Pascal the Jogger that had been hit by uh, the car. And it's just, it's brutal. Um, it's it's heavy. And it's one of those things where I've, I've noticed that people who weren't a part of this back close to when it came out uh, do not have the same effect. So clearly it's not aged the same. Um, but for me, it's still just as scary. Uh, Zelda, uh, all of the elements, and I'm very sensitive to pets. I love animals. And so it's just, it's just brutal all around. Um, and one that really holds up. And if, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where I just don't think of it that way, but this scared me more than anything else Stephen King related in the moment. It wouldn't if I watched it for the first time today, but this is mm -hmm. what scared the pants off of me more than any other movie back then. Uh, the Stephen King bingo child <laughs> death. Oh, it, yeah. That one, ding, that ding, ding, affected ding, ding, ding. me yeah. big because by the time I had seen this, I had, be, I had been a parent now. Yeah. And man, does that hit you different when you're a parent. Um, I love Fred Gwynn. Yes. I'm a huge Munsters fan. Like Lily Munster was one of my first crushes ever. I remember being a little kid thinking, "Ooh, she's pretty." So I love the I love the Munsters, and it's cool to see Fred Gwynn out of makeup and playing something else as well. Cool. Uh, Pet Cemetery has always been high on my list. So um, I remember seeing this in the theater, and I think it's the right around the time period where uh, surround sound was kind of a newer thing in theaters for us. Um, it's the first movie I remember where, uh, like, like the uh, toward the end of the film where Gage comes back, that it sounded like he was behind you. Yeah. You know, I wasn't used to surround sound. Um, I remember like his it, church, the cat pissing back there in the it corner. It was. That's, it was that good. It was actually homeless man. But um, yeah, Pet Cemetery to me is still <clears throat> strong. Um, I actually started reading the book when the remake came out, and um, hopefully within the next ten years I might finish it. So. Um, I don't know. I still, uh, I, I thought the remake was okay. Uh, I, I definitely find the original um, one of his stronger works. So, um, I fall into that category of watching it later in life, so it didn't hit for me as much. I think it's a good movie, but not a great movie. Um, but uh, Zelda scares the shit out of me. Yeah, scariest thing to me ever. So, um, yeah, that's my opinion. And so we're getting pretty close to the end of the golden era, so these will really start firing off. Um, Graveyard Shift in 1990. Tales from the Dark Side also came out that same year with a short story of his thrown in there, but again, that's one you guys covered. Uh, Graveyard Shift is kind of butt city, but I saw it back then, so <laughs> I I'm kind of forgiving for that. It's just old enough from that era that I still find enjoyment in it, but if I watch that today, I don't even know if I'd finish it. I mean, that's arguably the, the lowest quality film to date yeah. in his career at that point. Did you guys have any kind of past with that? I remember liking, uh, I saw this in the theater when it came out. I remember liking graveyard shift, but, uh, it's, um, uh, not, I don't know. It's definitely uh, going back. It's not one that I started like rewatching a lot or revisiting recently picked it up. Um, I think a, uh, foreign release. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't opened it and watched it. And, uh, other than AMC, uh, fear factor, whatever fear factor, What's their Halloween shit? Yeah. Fear Fest. Sure. Um, for some reason, every time Graveyard Shift is on, it's always in the middle of the movie. So uh, I don't know. I think the last time I watched it, the, the effects were hokey. So 
saw parts of it as a kid. Pretty forgettable. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, one of my favorites, It, the miniseries, also came out in 1990. Um, it's just, I still love watching that. It's iconic as shit. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the opening, um, the music, the dreariness of it, I still don't think they recaptured in the the new movies, which we'll touch on before we finish up. But um, the original, I, you know, if I had to pick like a few of the properties that just mean the most to me, it would be, you know, like The Shining, Cycle the Werewolf, and probably this. Um, I really love it. I love the epic nature uh, of generations between these group of friends and, and the importance of friendship at that age, which isn't something new for his stories. And let's point out, like I said earlier, where did, the, what era were these kids kids in this version? Fifties. Yeah. And what era are they coming from as kids in the new version? Yeah, falls in, in line 80s. exactly with yep. what you were saying. But um, for this, it's just, I, I think that, you know, maybe a hundred or 200 years from now, when they're looking back on his work, I think this is the dark horse. I think this one will be celebrated because the the concept of something preying on your fear, even though let's be honest, it's kind of a knockoff of Freddy. Um, within a, a number of years, this comes out after the success of Freddy Krueger in the eighties. It's very similar to that, but it does its own thing, mm-hmm. and it, it's very epic in its storytelling and the re, the learning each member of this group in the Losers Club. So. Um, this is the last one from that kind of classic era that I really want to spend, you know, a minute talking about. So, I mean, did you guys have a, a good experience with this at a young age? I mean, it scared the hell out of me. I was allowed to watch it. It was on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is another one that's, to me, like up there with Salem's Lot where most people don't acknowledge it, but it's a TV movie. It shouldn't it shouldn't be talked about as much as it does. Um, I think um, – actually really enjoy it, but it's still like they did so much with this because this was still right before they, uh, with the rating thing where they could get away with more. So it had to be toned down a lot for TV, but they still kept it scary. And I think the brilliance was whoever decided to do it to cast Tim Curry as Pennywise to me, um, it set it off. And then the cast was, um, especially the fact that it's a TV movie, but they used a lot of stuff uh, that people probably our age at least knew who they were. It's so like people from the Waltons and uh, like John Ritter. And um, so the cast was good. Um, I remember this kind of like being in the era of like kind of like the big music video that would premiere like Michael Jackson. It was similar where it was like it was a big event. Sure. Where it was I think it was a two night event for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like uh, Abner was talking earlier about like having to rush home to see, um, you know, like, man, it's coming, it part two is coming on tonight. Um, man, that's like what everybody in, in my class was doing was watching this movie. And then, uh, it was talked about kind of like, uh, the water cooler moment. So at school, like everybody was talking about it. Um, the ending does fall off, but, um, I think they at least have a lot of fun with the ending and the, and the new adaptation, uh, where they kind of, um, you know, make fun of how, how that, you know, his, his novels and stuff. Kinda, the running joke. Yeah. yeah. I saw this when I was in my early 20s. I didn't see it when I was a kid. Uh, Of course, I had read the book when I was much younger than that. I enjoyed it very much until the famous everybody bitches about the end of it. Including the director. Yeah. (laughs) It was just, it was bad. That part of it was bad. Um, I've not seen, I'm getting a little ahead of myself on the subject. I've not seen the second, it, two of the current films yet uh, on 
about to get that one next. Um, but I love the first half of it. I love it for, and I don't see how the second half can be any worse than what I saw in the past. Sure. Um, as I said, as a kid, I only saw the first half of it. Uh, loved it. As an adult, revisited it. Still love the first half. Second half, famously not popular. So um, all I'll say is that Tim Curry as Pennywise is just phenomenal. Yes, he's great. Yeah, and and the way that Legendary. that it's set up in the first half with there's seven segments in a TV movie, seven characters, and so they spend each segment before a commercial break getting to know the person. Yeah, and I think it just it flows so well for sure. Um, that same year, Misery, another great adaptation. Um, another snowy one. Uh, that's good for wintertime. Mm, I watch not, it every winter. Yeah, not quite as uh, reliant as The Shining is on on being snowed in, but you know, there's some of that there. I think it's excellent. Um, what year was this? 1990, 1990 same year okay. as it. Um, and Rob Reiner, who directed Stand By Me, did this, so he's got two great ones under his belt. Um, it's Kathy Bates' movie, but I think James Caan frequently is overlooked for how excellent he is in the movie as well. Um, there's not much else to say about it other than I really enjoy it. And we should probably do a, some of these, a, a deeper dive on them at some point. Yeah. I think we've covered it briefly in yeah. our seasonal horror yep. and winter horror and things like that. But this is top five Stephen King for me. I absolutely love this movie. It's, uh, as I say before, it's not the perfect horror movie, but it's a perfect horror movie. Yeah. I saw it when I was in my, I believe my late teens is when I finally got around to seeing it. And it was brutal. Like it's, it was a difficult watch for me. Like it was brilliant and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And boy, did they succeed with me at that point in life? I've not watched it, but maybe once since I think it's great, but to me, it's kind of emotionally exhausting to watch it. So I don't throw it on in a regular rotation, but I think it's absolutely brilliant. And Kathy Bates is absolutely genius in that. Yeah, uh, I think this is one of the first ones I can remember where um, I read the book way before the movie was thought of and going into the film, like even the way I visualized the way he described the room, it was on screen. So it's probably one of his best um, adaptations. I know there's some changes like uh, and she doesn't cut his feet off. And uh, but even the changes they made uh, worked well with what they did. I don't remember Kathy Bates really being in any, I know she was. And later on, I'm like, Oh, that was Kathy Bates was in Dick Tracy and all this other stuff. But, um, to me, Kathy Bates, like, which just blew it out of the water. Um, and this to me also, uh, I love horror films. Um, get off grinder. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, uh, totally distracted me. So, uh, you love horror films, but you're horror films. Oh, topic. I was gonna say, uh, to me this to me this kicked off uh, all the great like '90s thrillers that started to come out, like Basic Instinct and um, kind of like uh, like there really hasn't been a lot of great thrillers. So to me, uh, Misery kind of kicked off like that early '90s period where uh, there's just gonna be a block of uh, of great movies. So sure. Uh, following year, sometimes they come back, which you guys have covered. Uh, I before. like that one. Yep. And, uh, Another callback to the another 50s, 60s. More nostalgia porn. <laughs> yep. uh, we have a true mini series that he created uh, that same year, the Golden Years. I'll be honest, never seen it. Never seen um, it. Wasn't a book, but he did create it. 
Lots of yellow bandanas. Um, I was going to say, uh, I've, I've never watched the entire thing, and I thought it was perfect CBS played it, because it was just like, uh, it's old people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, following year 1992, The Lawnmower Man. Um, <laughs> I hated it back then. I have not watched it since. It's just the title only. He had a lawsuit against it. He actually had everything removed uh, re- regarding that, other than hmm. crediting the title to his work. Um, thoughts on that? I haven't seen it. I saw it maybe 20 plus years ago yeah. and I don't really have any memory of it. I remember it being kind of a, a abstract, but that's other than, yeah. that's all I remember. I remember um, I saw this in the theater when it came out and I remember being blown away by like the effects at the time, like where you go into the screen and, and now that I think that I, it's laughable now. That's yeah, depressing to see now and think <laughs> back on that. Uh, Grizz. Uh, never seen it. Didn't know it was Stephen King. Thank okay. You. Uh, that, same year, Sleepwalkers, Mick Garris did. Um, and there's some cool stuff in this one. Uh, I did not watch this back then. This is a later-in-life uh, viewing for me. Uh, but one that I enjoy. It's got an interesting cast and concept. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. How about you guys? Um, Never seen it, Benny? No. Uh, no, I take it back. I have seen it, but just not real thrilled with it. Gotcha. I love Sleepwalkers. Um I love that, like, uh, Barker and, um, like, there's some fun horror cameos in it. Yeah. Um, I think this is definitely the, the point where I was signed up for, like, the Stephen King Library Club nerd. Uh, so, like, to me, anything that had Stephen King attached to it, I was either seeing it or uh, picking it up at the video store or trying to read it. So, um, I don't know. Sleepwalkers is fun. I like Mick Garris stuff, too. So, yeah. Never seen it. Okay. Uh, following year, 1993, The Dark Half, we have George Romero working again with King. Um, I think it's a good one. Uh, pretty underrated. And I, in my opinion, there's still other good uh, adaptations that happen um, after this. But once we exit this year and the next year, we really start getting away from the, the stuff that it we... It starts thinning out. We really, lo- yeah, <laughs> we really still, uh, love King for. But The Dark Half... Um, I think is a, a good adaptation. Uh, we also have a recurring character between this and Needful Things, which came out that same year. Uh, but a good collaboration with Romero, one that I can remember reading at least part of the book. I still wasn't quite ready to be cranking <laughs> out those novels, but I can remember seeing this when it was brand new. And this was when I really started to feel like this was becoming my thing and not just dads that I looked at. So it was one I enjoyed then and still do. I've not seen this one. I have not seen it. Okay. I, uh, uh, again, I read. The, I would say this is probably to me one of the closest things from book to screen, including where he cuts the guy's dick off and shoves it down his mouth. Which, of course, the film doesn't. They show in shadow, but uh, I always thought this was a good one. So, cool. Uh, Tommy Knockers. I hated it. Yeah, the, I, we don't want to spend time on this. <laughs> Never As, seen it. Okay. Never seen it. Okay. I can't. I don't even remember other than hating that movie. Yeah, I have, and it's also Butt City. Uh, same year, 1993, Needful Things. Uh, an interesting concept, one that we've covered on here. Um, so we don't really need to spend much time on it. I think we all enjoyed it enough. Uh, the following year, 1994, we've got two classic things. We've got the Stand miniseries, which Grizz, we know, is a Big fan, fan of. of. I've never seen it. We'll have to correct that. Uh, it is good. Um, and Was that Dauber from Coach in it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> M O O N. That's Bill's cafeteria. Really, uh, 
One of the most surprising things to come out of his career is the success of this film regarded as one of the greatest films ever made, and that is The Shawshank Redemption. I assume we don't need to clarify if everybody likes that one. Or have seen it. I think everybody in the world has seen <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, if you had film. TBS in the 90s and 2000s, <laughs> you saw The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, but then in 1995, we have The Mangler. Uh, not so much. Never seen it. I, Never seen it. I liked it better then because, of course, Robert England is in it. So it yeah. was it was uh, Toby Hooper, right? Yep. So Hooper, Robert England, and Stephen King. So and I was Ted, like, oh, my Ted, God. Ted, uh, Ted Levine from Sons of the Lambs. I, think I believe so. It. So I was like, oh, my God. This is going to blow me away. And then it's like, uh, it's a, what is it? A killing sewing machine? Yeah. Or washing machine. Sure. Whatever. Uh, Dolores Claiborne, same year. We've got Kathy Bates back in another solid drama. I love Dolores Claiborne. Uh, It's a good movie. Uh, It doesn't really have many uh, heavy horror elements. Uh, But we jump to The Langoliers, which has some cool stuff in it. But the CG is so bad that it's not fun to watch now. Never saw that one. Not a fan Uh, of Langoliers. We'll skip over some sequels he didn't do here. Thinner. uh, Tom Holland directed, and I did not like it then. And I still don't. I was watching it today, waiting on you guys before I came over here. And I hadn't seen it since it was on video back in like 1990-something. And uh, it's not good. It feels... It feels cheap. Like you can tell that's toward the end of Stephen Stephen King's best works that have already been turned into movies at this point. And it's like the bottom of the barrel. And it's just, it's not done well. It, the fat makeup looks like Jiminy Glick. Like it's just not good. (laughs) Um, I I think I liked center when it came out because we kind of mentioned it earlier, but horror was dry at this point. So I, I took what I could get. I definitely, after watching it, I always dreamed about hitting a gypsy with my car. So Don't we all? Lose a bunch of weight. Never seen it. Okay. Uh, the following year, uh, and this is the real gem. This is my recommendation for listeners if they haven't seen this one because it's not a widely celebrated one. The Night Flyer uh, from 1997 is awesome. Never seen it. Um, anybody else here at the table seen haven't it? Haven't seen it. Have always wanted to because you told me it was good. So we'll have to cover it on the podcast. I remember, uh, I remember, because I, I believe this, I don't think it was made for HBO. They just released it. I think it was straight to video. Yeah, HBO released but, uh, it. But I remember we had a, a lot of get. copies at the video store because it's king and it's horror. Um, always thought it was cool. I don't remember a lot about it because it's been a long time since I watched it other than a vampire on an airplane and yep. it was really good. Yeah, and I, to clarify, not on like a passenger airplane. It's a vampire that travels by a single engine plane and we've got a guy trying to catch him. There's your basic setup for the movie. Some gnarly stuff in it. And the vampire is kind of beastly looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's cool. So you've seen what we do in the shadows. Yes. And, you know, his ex-girlfriend, the beast, that they run (laughs) with the ball. And her new boyfriend that's kind of like animalistic looking. Mm -hmm. I always wondered if they based that on the Night Flyer. He does kind of look like, he kind of looks like he missed. Okay. I thought so. Okay. So, yeah, we'll have to cover that one. And if listeners have the opportunity to track that down, the DVD's a pain to get. Uh, hopefully, at some point, that it gets released. That would be a great one for somebody to pick up. Sure. Uh, that same year, the Shining miniseries came out. We've already talked about that, but it was a more true adaptation. Um, and here is where I'm going to stop trying to even mention, because it just booms. Okay. I mean, it's just constantly uh, <laughs> stuff that... That Trucks. covers too much. So some highlights. Uh, 98, Apt Pupil came out. That's a decent drama about um, a Nazi, a former Nazi living next 
door to a boy who's learning from him. Um, it came from different seasons, which also brought you Shawshank and the body. Um, Storm of the Century, I want to mention. That came out in 1999. That is another great snowy movie where they get trapped with a very powerful man. Um, have anybody seen that one? Nope. That one drove me absolutely insane in a good way because I they kept saying uh, the big thing was you, he – he shows up and it's like, give me what I want and I'll go away. So it was two nights of this and I was like, what the fuck does he want? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was one of the better ones, especially after the the ones you jumped over, which including trucks, which was maximum overdrive. Um, so a lot of turd city here for uh, King. Um, what was the one you – at Pupil. Um, I love that Pupil, but I think the subject matter, a lot of people didn't – wasn't popular when it came out. Yeah. Um, the Green Mile takes us back to another epic uh, and thoughtful story set in a prison. Um, I have a funny story to share real quick. Uh, me and friend of the show, Joe Barker, went and saw that movie together. <laughs> and full disclosure, uh, there is a rather upsetting finale. And during it, I have, I'm have i sitting to the left of him, so I have my right hand up on my temple covering my eyes because I've got tears in them because it's, I mean, I'm not like bawling, but it's, it's moving. And I kind of move my hand a little bit. And right at the same time as I do that to look at Joe, he's moving his hand on his left temple to see how I'm doing <laughs> over there. And we're both just sitting there like a couple of sappy bitches in the theater. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's another one of the excellent adaptations. You guys, I assume all enjoyed that. One. Oh yeah. yeah. Not much controversy. Good. And if you've never seen movie. it, just turn on AMC right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, at this point we're just left and right with people cashing in on it and endless sequels. I was going to, um, I was going to bring up real quick cause I've never watched it, but hearts in Atlantis 2001. Yeah. Which is a, um, basically Anthony Hopkins. A, it's got a little bit of fantastic to it, but I've never heard drama. anybody that's watched it. <laughs> I've seen it. It's, it's, it's pretty heavy. Um, Rose red mini series, um, Dead Zone had a nice series, Dreamcatcher, which he claims to have written why he was on all of the painkillers from being uh, on the hit and run when he was almost killed mm-hmm. back then. Um, Secret Window had its fans. Um, I wasn't one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't me neither. I, I did. Uh, Ooh, it was me all along. <laughs> I did enjoy the Salem's Lot. Um, it, not as well as the original, but uh, TNT with uh, Rob Lowe. Yeah, and I'm, so I'm really skipping over a lot of stuff that's not worth mentioning at this point. 1408 um, has has definitely picked up its following since then. I, when I first saw it, it didn't do much for me. I've revisited it since and enjoyed it a little bit more. I need to give it a second chance. Lots of people like it. I didn't the first time. I'll try it again. Yeah, The Mist we've covered. I'm Love it. a big fan of that yep. one. Um, and so we're really getting close to... Pretty much modern times, there hasn't been a lot of good stuff up until this recent resurgence. Um, and we had the... Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> Sink just started dumping water. Um, but yeah, so our resurgence brought us uh, the reboot up of It, and it was a massive success. Um, and because of that, we've gotten um, lots of other cool stuff. Uh, we've Turned that into two chapters. Uh, we had Pet Cemetery being remade, uh, which came out not even a year ago. I, I think one of the strongest to me was Gerald's Game. Yes, uh, and Mike Flanagan is a huge part of that, which leads into Doctor Sleep. 
which was one of my favorite movies of last year. Uh, I don't want to go into it just because that's still so recent. I, I, I don't. Will, I will say something that I think is cool to talk away. about as we saw that in IMAX. And yeah. That was one of the perfect movies to see in IMAX uh, because of the, the, the sound and visuals. Yeah, and so for me, I'll just call out one more. And if there's something that we didn't talk about that you guys want to mention, feel free. But uh, 112263 is my favorite reading experience I've ever had. Um, not just for King, but period. I've never been consumed by a book. I've been interested in the JFK assassination since I was a little boy, as well as Stephen King. And then he wrote a time travel book dealing with going back to deal with that. And I got that for my 30th birthday. And I'm talking, I would come home from work immediately and open that. And I would read until I couldn't keep my eyes open. I would stand with it in the kitchen on the counter and read while I cooked dinner so I didn't have to leave. I mean, I read this until I... I had to finish it. I loved it. And I love um, the miniseries that they made out of it, which I thought was excellent for Hulu. Um, and so that's that's really brought me back in a major way with him. Do you still think there was only one shooter? Yes. Okay. Listeners, do with that what you will. <clears throat> I, right. I think one that's uh, turd but worth mentioning because of how disappointed I was, and I do think they're, they're going to fix it, is um, 2017's The Dark Tower. Uh, yeah. Man, such a, a massive thing that you could have done so much with. And it just one of the worst adaptations because you're like, let's take a bunch of big books and uh, just cram everything into an hour and a half movie. But I do think next uh, next year they're actually starting a TV series out of it. And so hopefully that does it some, uh, some justice. And um, I will say, speaking of a TV series, I know it's not really Stephen King, but it's his work. But Castle Rock, I haven't watched season two. Season one was great up until... The last episode I've heard two is a big improvement. Uh, Creep Show TV show I haven't finished, but I love everything that I've seen. That's cool. Um, the Outsider I'm really excited to see. Um, I still have yet to watch the Mist TV show or Dead Zone, but I know those have a lot of uh, a lot of fans. And Under the Dome, I hear a lot of people talk about. Yeah, they um, canceled the the Mist series pretty quick. Yeah, and then they're remaking the Stand this year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Um. I still need to watch. I've heard it is a crappy movie, but the uh, cell with, uh, I think I'm more interested because it's got Sam Jackson and um, uh, John Cusack. Um, and it's a Stephen King zombie movie, but um, I don't know. I haven't watched that one. Um, I will, again, I'm kind of excited. Uh, Salem's Lot, which is supposed to be a theatrical movie. Um, the Long Walk um, and From Buick 8. I'm definitely interested to see those. And then Mr. Mercedes, I think that's the last newest book of Stephen King that I read. I read the trilogy. So I do want to check out the TV show, which I think is in season three. Yep. Um, the book actually I thought was pretty decent. I have not read the, uh, the sequels to the book yet. All right. Any uh, Anything else we want to mention? No. Uh, no, I think we're, we've covered it. Yeah. I would just say I loved it. Chapter one and two, uh, I counted them as one movie, and it was definitely my top one, top ten horror movie of the decade. It was not number one, but it was in my top ten. And Castle Rock had such a strong start, and I loved it. And the ending, like it just kind of came undone in the last couple episodes. Yeah. So the Kathy Bates character in season two uh, from Misery, mm-hmm. that's that's got me ready to. Oh yeah, I'll step definitely watch season up. two. So sure, yeah. definitely. All right. All right. Well, 
Revisiting Stephen King. Good conversation. Great career. Uh, lots of stuff worth talking about. So uh, chime in with us on social media, whether it's Facebook or uh, Instagram. Tell us what we got right, what we got wrong. Tell us what you like, what you dislike about Stephen King. It's a it's a wide and varied topic, and we'd love to hear what you have to say about it. So, uh, closing out for another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast, I'm Grizzly Admiral, joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Stay scary. <laughs> <laughs>